0: So my job uh, today is to explain to you, last week we spoke and worked our way through the book of Hosea and talked about this strange story where we see the nature of God and the nature of man. The nature of God is forever reaching and loving. The nature of man is to be sinful. We heard the story of Hosea marrying Gomer, who then went off and became a prostitute And as a result, she ended up living with other men. She ended up being discarded into the place of slavery and trafficked within uh, and their place to be on sale. And there we see that Hosea came and purchased her back. A picture of God's great love, of his willingness with our unfaithful hearts that we have a propensity, to, to move away from God and not be faithful to God is that God purchased us out of the slave market. The slave market of our failure, the slave market of our sin, the slave market of our pain. In our nakedness and in our brokenness, he purchased us. And brought us back with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and with Christ being crucified on the cross. The greatest act in all of the cosmos, in all of time. He purchased you and I from slavery. He set us free. And that ever chasing love of God. Now we have um, the book of Joel. Joel is three chapters. And that I want to try and explain, it is packed full of glorious, poetic, powerful moments of God speaking in power. Of God working and moving. For way of uh, introduction, Joel is really interesting because Joel probably quotes about 10 of, um, of the books in the Bible. He quotes Isaiah and Ezekiel, he quotes Hosea, he quotes them so we know that he was familiar with scripture and we don't know much about Joel, we know the name of his father, we know what's uh, that he, he ministered in Judah. Uh, theologians are now arguing and continue to argue about the dating of the book because of his ability to quote Isaiah and quoting Exodus, which is no surprise. But he quoted the other prophets and the earlier prophets. So often he is placed somewhere around the exile of Judah, somewhere around 500 B.C. But Joel really deals with the story of Judah and the way that God is speaking to Judah. He he speaks about, in the first chapter, about a locust swarm, and agricultural disaster that comes into the land. And the people experience... This great disaster, these dirty thirties, this time when, when the environment changes, when the locusts come in and eat the food and the nation is in crisis. Chapter 2. He then talks about a locust army of darkness and power that comes against Judah because of, of course, their sinfulness. He doesn't really condemn, condemn them like some of the other prophets in, in Joel, probably because everybody has read the other prophets and they know exactly what's going wrong. God's request of them is to get their lives right and correct, which is the theme of the Minor Prophets. But a great dark army comes. At the end of both chapter one and chapter two, well actually in the middle of chapter two, there's a request. It's a very simple request. It's a request of repentance. And at the end of chapter 2, it's a request of repentance, but then he explains that if you repent, what is going to happen and the way that God is going to work and the way that God is going to move. And at the end of chapter 3 and the end of chapter 2 to 3, because it was never written in chapters, we have this, this great moment of where they declare the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and God looks to a future day. So in the prophecy, it's gone from a past day when God to a kind of present day to a future day. And all the time, God is requesting that they would respond To what he's saying to them. And if they respond to his request, he will change what is going on in their world. And the locusts, the darkness, the pain, the difficulty. But he wants them to repent and he wants them to move and he wants them to respond. And if they respond to God, then the whole environment of their lives will change by their response to God. And that is true for every one of us today. Sometimes you have a locust storm in your life because God isn't paying you back. God wants to bring you back. That's the essence. He doesn't want to pay you back, He wants to bring you back. He doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to save you. He doesn't want to bring difficulty. And we go through those times of pain and difficulty. He wants to bring you back always to him. Always. So we know from chapter 1 that there's a recent locust swarm. Remember the plague of Egypt. Chapter 1 describes this swarm in fact, there were a number of swarms, locus upon locust, locus upon locus. I mean, there's a lot of locusts going on here, and they're all sweeping in, and 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 there's this moment, and yet he does something really interesting as you read the book. He looks and he reminds them of a day past. It's always Joel. He's talking about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. This happened here. The day of the Lord when the disaster. Do you remember that day? He loves to do that. And there's a coming day. The day of the Lord. I've had many days this month. The day of the Lord when England won. The day of the Lord when England lost. The day of the Lord when they really lost. I remember the day of the Lord. God is not paying me back. He's trying to bring me back. But I'm a hard-hearted man. Um, and then we've got this day. It's like D-Day was a day of the great invasion of Europe. The, we remember the day of the Twin Towers, the day of. What Joel does in the first chapter, he reminds them that there was a day of a great move of locusts when the locusts weren't against Israel, but the locusts were against Egypt. And he quotes Exodus, Exodus 10, where God comes and moves in the mighty locusts and comes. And he says, look at the days of the Lord in the past. Look at when God moved Look in your life, look in your history. Remember the day of the Lord when God did this. But there's a day now coming which will bring agricultural disaster. And this is also the day of the Lord because you have wandered, because you have failed, because you have walked away from me. What can we draw from this? I think in life and family, we forget The power of our story. And we forget when we're raising our children and we're living our life. To forget the stories of the day of the Lord in our family life. It's so important that we remember what God has done. It's so important that we remind our children. The teachable moments of the great wonders and the great mercies of God. It is so important even to look back. Not just to Egypt, but to your family, your history, how God brought you out of a distant land, how God was faithful to your forefathers, how God intervened in your family. And we remember the day of the Lord, of his blessing there, and remind our children and our grandchildren that those great stories of God moving and God working in our lives. God's blessing. And God's challenge. Joel is using a teachable moment. Reminding them about a past day of the Lord. And when you look at your own life and you're sat around the dinner table and you're with others. Remember the glorious teachable moments of the days of the Lord in your own history in your own heritage, in your own life. Don't stop telling those stories because God is always bringing us back. And those stories impact of God's mercy within your life. Now, it's a little difficult if you come from a family like mine that is basically nominal Christian and pagan. Uh, we can tell lots of stories. They usually involved not so exciting events. I had a relative that was drunk one day and punched a donkey in the head and the donkey fell over. That's a great story. Uh, not for the donkey. That's a good story to tell. <clears throat> I know perhaps in church it's not the best story. but But even I remember looking back and... One day I remember my grandmother saying to me, You know, we had a great aunt called Emily at the turn of the century, well, the turn of not this last century, the century before, who she was very religious, they said. Very religious. That's always a sign that God was at work. And very religious. She used to be in Birmingham in in those times when the poverty would make you weep if you happened to catch the tram through certain areas of the city. And the the pain and the slums and the problems around the area called West Bromwich and that whole area. And she used to come with a big bowl of soup. And she used to give out soup and sing hymns and minister to the people. She was a tall lady. She never got married. I've seen a photograph and I do understand why. But, (laughs) I'm sorry. But she could make soup. And she pours the soup out and she goes for it and it's magnificent. And she was not just famous for her soup, but she used to go between Birmingham and between uh, a place called Stourport on the river by the canals where all the canal boat owners would be. And they would be in the bars. And she would go into the bars and she'd get to know all the ladies and none of them were this, this life of travelling from London to Liverpool to Newcastle. She'd go in there and she'd know that the men hadn't married the women but were living with the women. And so she'd go in there and preach. <clears throat> she'd grab the men because she was tall. She'd grab them and bring them out and and make them marry the women that they're living with. Hallelujah. (laughs) Who's off to the post house afterwards? Okay. That was a day, wasn't it? You wonder where I get it from. From Emily. A remarkable bit of heritage that I had to dig out. The day of the Lord was with Emily. The day of the Lord has been with your families. The day of the Lord is with you. You've got great heritage because you're here because of prayers of other people. And Joel is saying, come on. Respond to me. The request is this. Do this. I know um, Shel has a similar story. She... Her grandmother, she always wondered what this little badge was on her lapel of her grandmother. And it said, Toc H. She'd ask her grandmother and her grandmother would never tell her. So she thought it was some kind of weird organization. Years later, she said, I always wondered what that was, Toc H. And so she uh, one day she was writing a blog and she started to do some research into her grandmother's secret organization. She thought it might be some kind of, you know, pagan Welsh thing. And as she found out, she discovered that Tuck H stood for Talbot House. Talbot House was a man called Talbot, an army chaplain in the First World War, in the trenches that got a little French house converted into a bit of heaven in the middle of the trenches. And the people that were associated with Tuck House wore this little badge to say that they lived to serve others and to bring a little bit of heaven into lives. And the reason she never told anybody is because, according to the Tuck H., Service is to be secret and to do it unto the Lord, not unto man. That's a good story to tell, isn't it? Teachable moments. When we teach our children and we show our children about the way that we live for the Lord and the way that we serve him, we understand this. And so chapter 1 and chapter 2, announcements of disaster, a call to repentance, and therefore an act of repentance. So we have the locust coming. We have darkness coming in chapter 2. Because he's talking about a future day of the Lord when Judah would experience you know, the armies of darkness that would come and it would happen, an imminent disaster for Jerusalem. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and the mighty is his army that obeys his commands. See, he gives the prophecy in chapter 2 of this dark, moving, cloud, army that is moving towards Judah, because of their unfaithfulness, because of the way that they've lived, because of the things that they've done. And the incredible thing about this, in the swirling darkness, in the arm of God, in the clouds that has uh, tones of, of, of being on top of Mount Sinai and the people of Israel in the wilderness and the great thunder and the move and the presence of God, the shocking thing is, is that the army is led by God himself. In other words, God is in the darkness. And often, God brings the locust because he wants to bring you back. Often we forget that when the darkness comes to our lives, that even God can be in the darkness. He is in the darkness. The darkness that we face, the darkness that we go through, the darkness that we battle with at times in our lives, which we all battle with, God is in that's what Saint John of the Cross described as the dark night of the soul. And I've discovered that those pastors that I've got to know and got to connect with and are moving at a level of intimacy and prayer, that when you listen to their stories, every one of them has a dark night of the soul, where God in the darkness of whatever that may be, in that difficulty, in that pain, in that struggle, there was a darkness that rather than us fighting against God, brought us closer and closer and closer to God. See, God is always speaking even in the darkness. The question is, are you always listening? The darkness of a business failure, but darkness of a relationship breakup, the darkness of travelling through the decay of the human body and sickness, the darkness. Of our own, perhaps, depression, the deep darkness of mental health, the darkness of our own anxieties and fears. I don't know what the darkness is, but I know that Christians can experience darkness and a dark night of the soul. And I don't know what that means to you, but I want to encourage you. That God can be with you in the darkness. In Exodus chapter 20, I think, verse 21, this amazing moment. The Ten Commandments have just been given. The thunder's going. He speaks to the people. And then Moses, it says, walks into the darkness. And yet God is in the darkness. Because we're in pleasure, it's like God is barely audible. But when we are in pain, it's like God screams at us. This mighty army is coming against Israel with all its darkness, with all its pain, with all of this. Because he wants them, he's got a request of them. They don't have to, they have to respond in the right way. And how should they respond? Well, why they should respond by repenting. Both chapters, 1 and 2, finish chapter 2 in the middle finish with this statement about true repentance. About gathering the people. About seeking the Lord. About stepping in and knowing repentance. Calling the priests to repent. Because repentance is so important to turn away the darkness. Repentance for Israel was so important to help restore the devastation of the agricultural Disaster. He says here, rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. In the repentance process, what he's actually saying is, rend your heart. Not your garments. In other words, I am not interested in your outward appearance and how you perform and how you act unless the outward reflects the inward of what God is doing within your life. And even the darkest times can be the most beautiful times because you come close to a level of faith and Christianity that you've never experienced before. That he walks with you and he talks to you. But he's saying to you, it's, it's, it's about your outer life must match your inner life, Judea. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't. Let foster a deep inner life, a life of devotion, a life of closeness, a life of prayer, a life of listening, a life of journaling. The inner must reflect the outer. See, I've got an uncle. Uh, he's... Um, we're very similar, actually. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a great guy. His adventure, I guess, he's about 76 now. He, he taught, um, here's a little moment. He taught Princess Anne how to sail a sailing boat. He was in the Navy. I know, I know, I know. I wish we were part of the Crown movie on Netflix, but it never got in. Um, <laughs> here's Paul Collins, you know teaching Anne. But no, it's all about Philip and the Queen. Uh, But he he, he sailed the private yacht, the racing yacht for the royal family. He was in the Royal Navy, did this, get loads of good stories, lots of bragging rights, love it, and pictures, uh, and so on. I was even mistaken as a little boy for Prince Andrew. You can See the similarity. Um, so, I was in a little navy suit down in Plymouth. But, but he, I always said to him, you know, when you, he was, you know, part of round the world racing and all of that in his yachts, he fell in love with a Welsh girl and became a postman. By the way, uh, such is love. And he lives in the valleys of Wales. Because great stories. I said, aren't you terrified? You're in a force, nine, ten gale. And you're in that boat. You're you know, heading through the Atlantic. Aren't you terrified? he would always remind me that the boat was designed to deal with the most severest of storms. It always reminded me, as a boy... That the weight of the keel has to be heavier than the weight above. Because it's the weight below that stops it from flipping over. Got the point? Don't just rend your garments and look spiritually amazing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know when to raise your hand at the right chorus of the right moment. You know when to give a knowing not. You know when to give a fine, deep. Amen, pastor. But if that's just doing your garments, but your heart isn't right. God's looking for the heart. Return to the Lord God, for he is gracious and compassionate Come on, turn round, return to me. And do you know what's going to happen when you turn round, Judah? Do you know what's going to take place? Three things. Joel himself repents. We haven't got time for that. God's response is then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. He wants you. He wants everything of you. He wants to connect with you. He wants Judah. It's, God has always wanted us. It, he wants us to the very nature of, the, of dying on the cross for us because of how much he utterly and completely loves us. He's jealous for you. We talked about that in Hosea last week, about that God desires your affection. But the three things he said he'll do in the chapter 2 is he defeats the invader. And I love this. Because God is bringing it against Judah. But he's saying, if you repent and get right with me. I'm not paying you back. I'm bringing you back. So what circumstance in your life, what darkness, what challenge, what difficulty is bringing you back? Even this morning, some of you are being brought back to God like never before because you know that as locusts have been knocking on the door, that you felt the cloud and the darkness, and it's time to get right with God And stop making your sails look beautiful and put the weight down below. See, there's a form of Christianity that tells me at times that if I have darkness, if I have problems, if I have difficulties, then it must be the sin in my life that is creating it. It can be very difficult in that sort of vein of Christianity. Because if you're not in victory, if you're not, everything's perfect. If you're not, everything is there. Hallelujah. Come on. Well, we've been praying for this for a long time. There must be something wrong with you. Even if those people come out the other end of that kind of teaching and even end up back in a church like Willow Park, they're often damaged because... They feel like somehow, some way, they weren't able to manipulate God enough to get God to do what they want God to do. Manipulating outward forces is a sort of paganism. You see, I am a creature created by God, and as a creature, I cannot manipulate the Creator. And anything that preaches that we can somehow manipulate and unknowingly at times in extremes, that we can manipulate the creator by X, Y, and Z, by this formula, by doing this. I'm a creature. How can I possibly manipulate God? What Joel is making the point is, rend your hearts. If you want to defeat the enemy, don't try and manipulate God. Just throw yourself before God. Make God your focus. Make God everything. Love him. It's not about what we can get. It's not about what we can gain. It's not about how awesome we are. It's not about this. It's about a sovereign Glorious God who gave everything for us. And when I am traveling through locusts and through darkness, what I want to do is make my heart right, rend it right, and throw myself towards God. It's not about me. It's all about him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It's about Christ who was crucified. It's about our Lord who is sovereign, King over all the universe, the Creator. To God. And sometimes we try, but I I've gotta, in my battle, I've gotta rend my heart, go deep, and I've got to throw myself. And it's all about God. In Hosea, I taught you that out of intimacy comes fruitfulness. You can't have the fruitfulness without the intimacy. And we don't see the change of the environment without us focusing completely on putting God as number one. So what are the responses from God? First of all, he says, I'll defeat the invader. I will drive the northern hordes from you. I push it back into the parched, barren lands. You know that, what you've been battling with? I am going to defeat it. I am going to be with you. You've come to me. You've looked at me. I am with you. You've laid your heart before me. And I, you're going to see the turnaround and the victory of the Lord come. I'm going to restore the Devastation of the land. I'm going to bring fruitfulness. I will pay for you. Now, here's the famous, glorious prophetic uh, words I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarms, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. This famous verse, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. When you come with an honest heart and a repentant heart and a devotion to Christ, when you look at your life like a landscape that is ruined, as you come to the Lord, He'll restore the years, the locusts have eaten. He restore your marriage, the years. He restore your life, the years. He restore all of this. All of the pain, the difficulty, wherever the devastation is, let's look for the fruitfulness that God will bring. And it talks about this in Joel, the rain. In Scripture, the rain was always a sign of the blessing of God and the moving of His Spirit. So when it rains in Kelowna, don't touch and moan. Look up and say, God is blessing us. Because rain is always a blessing. Rain is always glorious. Rain is saying we don't do it ourselves. It's not through our cleverness strategies. It's not through our brilliance as a church. Aren't we amazing? It's not through all of my wisdom and my knowledge that I am such an awesome Christian. It's because all good things come from God. And in the Hebrew, unlike today, even the locust, the rain, the blessing, God was in the weather. God was in everything. God is present. And I think sometimes we've become so far away from the reality of God in our lives that we forget that God is in everything. He's in the darkness, he's in the locust. he's in, in the glorious food and wine, Is in the rain. There are some churches that can be built on human endeavor and life and ability. As one ancient old pastor told me, led the biggest Pentecostal church in my region in England. He says, you can always build a church on charisma. But will it last? Because if it's got to be built on prayer and depth of community and relationship and his divine presence would come amongst them and then you will know that I am in Israel. I, the Lord, your God. So he's going to come amongst them Never again will my people be shamed. Okay, then the future day, which actually, God's Spirit will fill all His people. We cannot do Christianity without the power of the Holy Spirit through our lives. We and you and I must not allow ourselves to become dry Not allow ourselves to lose that ever-present power of the Spirit at work within our lives. This great prophecy that Peter preached. And as he stood up and he worked and he moved. And after after he preached, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Do you know what I think about this day when the Spirit was poured out on the church? They prayed for 10 days. They preached for 10 minutes and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Do you know what the church does today? We pray for 10 minutes. (laughs) We preach for three weeks and maybe three people get saved. See, we can't, even Jesus himself could not do this without the promise of the Spirit. On every woman, on every man, on every individual. This great Joel prophecy of an age to come, which was fulfilled here in the book of Acts and is being fulfilled in the church today. We need God to give us fresh vision. We need God to give us fresh dreams. We need new revelation. But let me remind you that the work of the Spirit is not for your glory or for your benefit. Often when God gives you a vision and gives you a dream to change the world, to make a difference, it is given to you, not so you may be glorified. It's given so that God may be glorified, and it is given to you so that others may be blessed. The work of the Spirit through our lives is profound and beautiful, but it's so that we may bless others, that we may know his presence, even your servants, both men and women, will pour out my Spirit in those days, okay? So we've got to be willing to say, Lord... What have you taught us in our family journey that we must pass on and keep reminding people of? Don't forget those past days. Joel quotes so many scriptures. He was familiar with scripture, so important for us. Even in the locusts and the darkness, let's rend our hearts and let's seek the Lord and let's ask the Lord to be with us and speak to us through that time. Let's realize. That we can't fake it to make it. We've got to live our lives that are devoted. Let's understand what it is to be authentic and honest. Before the Lord. for others. Allow the Lord to move and work in our hearts. And let's realize that, that God desires to change our world, to change our circumstances. <clears throat> and let's always be reminded in chapter 3 that now we have a day of the Spirit, a day where He's with us, a day where He wants to anoint us, a day today where He wants to speak to us. And for some of you, you have lost. The vision that comes with the Holy Spirit. You've lost your personal vision. You've lost your personal calling. You've lost your personal drive. But what God wants to do this morning is to give your vision back. That old men, time to dream dreams. It's time to hear from God again. It's never too late. Even if the locusts have eaten, God can restore the locusts again. And God can infuse you with vision and dreams again by the power of his Holy Spirit. We are not called to be a barren land. We're called to enjoy the reign of heaven. And then the future day, and one must finish now. God will confront the evil nations. I can't get into this. It was Greece. Greece. Although it was the little, little nations around were capturing Judeans, selling them to the Greeks. Greeks ran a massive slave trade. It was like the 1750s with the Americas and Africa. And, and God was against slavery. And, you know, even today, what is it? 50,000 slaves are illegally brought into the USA every year, mainly for the sex industry, the porn industry, to be put into brothels and... And, um, and God's anger is against the nations, and God's anger is going to turn against the nations. And he talks about a valley of decision, when it's time to decide, it's time to turn, it's time to serve God, and the Lord will roar from Zion, he will thunder, his heavens will come, and then it finishes off a renewal of all creation, a new Eden. In that day, the mountains will drip with new wine and hills will flow with milk. He reminds us again that at the end of time, God will renew all things. I think I've preached that quite a lot recently. Romans 8. Let's finish. Three final points. Israel's sin led to disaster. Our sin will always lead to to problems. Always. God's mercy creates hope. God is merciful. God is full of grace. God is there. But not only that is mercy and his grace. And then the final chapter, the past becomes an image of the future. What is the past? The past is the garden. The past is in the Eden. The past is when God walked with us in the cool of the evening. The past is before the fall. The past is when all things were right. And he's saying that, they, that the future image, the past will be the future. And there will be a day when all things will be right. His mercy... And God is always merciful towards us. Somebody breaks into your house and they steal your items and you you catch them, but you don't press charges, that is, being merciful. But if you pull out your back pocket, $10,000, take the person And retrain them. Set them up and help them. And give them a chance. That is called grace. Every one of us has been condemned. But we receive God's mercy. But God has given us so much more in his grace. So much more in his grace. That he is with us. Let's stand together. I would like to um, bring us back to that Joel 2 verse about the Spirit resting on the children and dreams and visions, Uh, if we can bring that up, sorry to, uh, I can go back to it for a moment. Is there somewhere? Is that lovely? The silence is beautiful. It's the one about the spirit being on the young and the old, and that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Future day, hey. <laughs> Technology. It's lovely. I'd like to just pray this over us. If you're able or feel comfortable, you may not either or may not be in your personality. But why don't you reach out to the Lord and maybe hold your hands out to the Lord in an act of standing before the Lord with holy hands. And let me remind you this lovely verse. And pray over you as we finish. And afterwards, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Heavenly Father, we pray that as a church, all people gathered here, we pray, Lord, that each one of us may know the profound presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray for our sons and our daughters, that they will speak and prophesy the word of God, the heart of God, the life of God in their lives. Maybe your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, that the Spirit of God may call them and that they may speak and prophesy. That again, that old men will dream dreams. That Lord, we pray that the dreams within us may be awakened again. Of what you can do and how we can serve in our lives. And that the young men will see visions. We ask, Lord, that you would bless us. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. Lord, we respond to the cry of the ancient prophet Joel. And we say, yes, Lord. Pour out your spirit again on your church, on your bride, on your people. That we may know the defeating power of Christ. The fruitfulness of our land. And that we may know the ever presence of God. In Jesus' name we ask.